And actually today, uh, as you know, Pastor and quite a few people are ill this morning. And so this is an impromptu message for this house. But I, uh, once I knew I was pre- preaching, I got this excitement in my spirit because I thought, Lord, if I'm going to preach, I'm going to stand apostolically today. And I'm going to declare some things over this house, and I'm going to proclaim who we are and what God has called us to do, because guess what? It takes some brave warriors to possess their prophetic promise. We cannot let the pressure take precedence over our prophetic promise. And the fact is, in our world, there's a clash between light and darkness. You know that. But the Bible says in Jude... It tells us to contend for the faith. Now, when this was being spoken, it was not saying, oh, just fight to hang on. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I just ask for the Holy Spirit to be the teacher, that there would be a supernatural revelation, that they would get rid of mindsets that they had, religious mindsets of what certain things mean so that they can embrace and step forth in a power and authority to literally take back their territory for the kingdom of God. And so Holy Spirit, come, invade our minds, invade our thoughts, bring a supernatural revelation that is applicable to each person as an individual. Take these things and make them alive inside of them in the name of Jesus. So they were to contend for the faith. You know, a lot of times we don't like to hear sermons on spiritual warfare. Because who wants to be in war? You know what? Every soldier that's in the military doesn't want war. In fact, when they do war, what are they warring for? Peace. They're fighting for freedom. They're not fighting just to fight. So when there's a clash between light and darkness, if we're going to fight, we're not just fighting to fight. No, we're positioning ourselves to obtain what God has promised us that we could have and walk in the fullness of God's purpose for our life. So here when it says, contend for the faith, this is New Testament, guys. It's all the way back in Jude. It's New Testament saying, you need to contend for the faith. But we must recognize what this was talking about is they were resisting the cultural norms of morality. Oh, how many of you could get fearful looking at Facebook posts? Looking at the nightly news, hearing what's happening. And usually the most negative voices are the loudest voices. And a lot of things we hear are the minority, not the majority. Come on. So when we have this flood of voices coming at us in all types of ways externally, the Bible says contend for the faith. He said, listen, you need to contend to stay in that place of who you are, to not be conformed to the world, not be moved by those other voices, but to be moved by his voice, not to be controlled by the opinions of man, but to go to the courts of heaven, to go to the place where uh, Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father and see what God has to say about this. So I don't care what the nightly news says. I care about what God says. And when I get to go into nations, I cannot look at what I see. I can't even look at the governments that exist at that point in time. 
I can't look and say, this is a communistic government. Oh, this nation's done for. This is a socialistic government. This nation is done for. No, it is the church. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and they would turn from their wicked ways. It's talking about the church. I would heal from hear from heaven and I would heal their land. The power that we have as sons and daughters of the living God, not to be controlled by all the external voices, but internally contend for what we know to be true. Guys, One of the core values of this house is bravery. That we're not going to be controlled by all those voices. We're not going to be controlled by the world system. And the word contend means to struggle to overcome, defeat, conquer, rise above, and go beyond. I like that one. We are going to rise above and go beyond. So the devil says, you can't do something. We will rise above and go beyond. If the enemy lies and says, oh man, this nation's going to hell in a handbasket, shut up. We are going to rise above and we are going to go beyond because we, as a nation, will fulfill our kingdom purpose. What report will we believe? Pastor Joel talks about whose name is on the package. We've got to contend for the faith. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, right? You got to fight the good fight of faith. So he saw you can't just be passive. You can't just be people who just do their little religious thing, just show up so I feel good. No, there has to be a bravery, a fight, a determination on the inside of us to contend for the faith, to fight the good fight of faith. And the word fight means to hold tightly to eternal life. Now, that's not just about heaven and hell, because the moment you receive Jesus, you already got eternal life. And every benefit, every promise, every provision of eternal life is already on the inside of us. We are already saved, healed, whole, delivered, set free. Come on, this is who we are. Every promise, Jesus paid a price so we could walk in the fullness of the kingdom, correct? So if we're going to fight a good fight, we're fighting a fight to hold on. Hold on to what God has already promised us. Now, I won't take the time to do this little illustration I just saw in my head. But it's like I saw these really big guys standing behind me, like big soldiers. Just picture those angels with the swords. Just picture, you know, you know, karate guys. You know, I mean, just really just picture all that behind you. All right. And then the devil comes up. Guess what? We can rest because I know who I trust in. So I go, get them, guys. Our God goes before us. He fights our battles for us. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means we choose to position ourselves holding fast, holding tightly to the eternal life we have in God. The greatest weapon of warfare is when we enter into peace because the Bible says we labor to enter into rest. So whenever something comes in, you hear bad news, you pick up the phone, you hear something negative, guess what? That's where we step into that place of labor. And labor means speed 
of effort. It means a prompt response. So the moment you hear that negative thing, we have a prompt response to trust in our God. That prompt response to enter into rest. Because as long as my mind feeds on fear-based thoughts, I will never enter into rest. To the degree that fear controls my life is to the degree that I am controlled internally and I begin to act in ways that are completely opposite to who God created me to be. That's what fear does. But when I fight the good fight of faith, when I contend for the faith, and I labor to enter into that rest, it is the peace that gains me the victory. I was just in Trinidad, and the first four days were so intense. I mean, demonic manifestations all night long, you know? Things visiting me in the night, dreams, tormenting dreams. I mean, it was intense. And I just got up and, I mean, it was a rough, I mean, you don't get good sleep because <laughs> you're being harassed. But you know what? There's a, this peace inside of me. Go, man, the devil is afraid. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Obviously, we are confronting something to impact a nation. And I won't go into the details of all that, but I recognize that I was going with a message that was confronting the strongholds that had been in that nation for generations. And so I got up and I contact, contacted Prophet Brent. And I said, guess what? I said, isn't this exciting? We know that the enemy is shaking. So guess what? We're going to stand and in rest know that God has put us right here at this time for a right purpose so that we can accomplish his kingdom purpose. And that's exciting. Now, of course, my head intercessor there, I just said, pray, 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 you know, <laughs> stand with me because we're not in this thing alone. But we don't have to be afraid of the enemy. Anytime uh, the voice of the enemy, anytime something comes that's contrary to the word of God, guess what? We must recognize that we have this major opportunity, this major honor to stay in Christ, to be so connected to his kingdom that we walk in a supernatural peace no matter what is happening. If you're not in peace, you're not in faith. That's why we labor speedily. <laughs> oh, you just tell me that? <gasps> Instantly. Speedily. Speedily. I align my thoughts with heavens. In Isaiah 55, it says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. So what happens, that's not saying that, oh, you dummy, you'll never know what I'm thinking. No, it is an invitation from the Father that says, I want you to think the way I think. I want you to respond the way I respond. So the more we are in him and the more my thoughts align with his thoughts, the more his purposes and his realities are manifested in my life. And man, that's a place of peace. We have to labor. Drama, chaos, gossip are unacceptable to the Christian. It will eat your lunch. And it isn't the devil doing it. It's our brains doing it. I got to be careful because I'm writing a book on prejudice right now, which is on prejudgment. So if I look at you and say, 
oh, you know, she's not from the United States, so she can't be as smart as we are. I mean, that's prejudgment. And the moment I make a prejudicial assumption, the moment I do it, and that's just not about nations or anything. That was just an illustration. But whenever I make an assumption, then what is happening is I am positioning myself to align with the kingdom of darkness. I'm focusing on negative. I'm focusing on what the enemy says. I'm not focusing on what my God says. And my God so loved the world, all the world, the ones that are saved, the ones that are not saved. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they act like. It doesn't matter what sin they're in. Oh, my goodness. All you have to do is take me back 40 years, and I can tell you some sins. Not what everybody else was doing, but what I was doing. Man, I had my stupid years, guys. I was a man hater. I was a woman's liver. You already heard this. I burned my bra when I didn't need to wear one. Come on, I'm telling you. There, I was an angry person. And so, but what our God says, I so love the world. He didn't look at us by what we were doing. He did not look at us based upon what the world said about us. You know, we start looking at generations. Oh, you know, those millennials. Man, I'm so glad my God doesn't look at a person and lump them all together. That he gives us all an opportunity to make decisions that align with heaven. And I'm getting off task. So we labor to enter into rest. So we have got to change our mindset when it comes concerns warfare. There's an assertiveness, but you don't have to be loud. Sometimes this quiet little grin where you're not controlled. How liberating is that? Somebody comes up and says something mean to me, bless their hearts. Oh, I heard somebody's gossiping about you, Melody. Bless their hearts. Oh, do you know what they're saying? No, and I don't want to know. Bless their hearts. I'm not controlled by the opinions of man. Christians ought to be the most powerful, peaceful people on the planet. And when there's peace inside, it's not difficult to love. Because it's hard to love a person if you think they're out to get you. But when you realize they don't have any power over you, you can love them in spite of themselves. In fact, your heart breaks for them because you recognize how powerless they are because they've got to revert to gossip or criticism or condemnation or judgment to make themselves feel powerful. You know, we are powerful. When God created man, he gave them dominion. He gave them authority. He gave them the opportunity to subdue and to put under themselves and creation. But God never gave us dominion over another human being. We cannot legislate people's hearts. The one we can legislate is ours. Contending for the faith, fighting the good fight of faith, laboring to enter into my own personal rest. See, powerful people, and you're powerful. Say, I'm powerful. powerful. Say, I'm powerful. powerful. Should I get you to get up and say, I'm powerful? All right, you know, come on. (laughs) I'm powerful. powerful. You might have to say it till you believe it, all right? 
But powerful people change what they can and choose peace in what they cannot. You know what? If I was just three inches taller, I wouldn't need to wear these uncomfortable high heels to be able to see above the pulpit. Some places I go, it's like, oh my goodness, I have my high heels and I'm standing up here and the pulpit's down here so that, because the pulpit's so big. If I was just a little bit taller. But I can't change that. I'm powerless to change my height. Man, I spackle, putty, paint, slop all kinds of goo in my face. I do all kinds of things, but the fact is, I can't change having wrinkles at this point in time. I do my best and I leave the rest, but see, I've got to choose peace. You know, you think about it, we worry about things that we cannot change. Well, how's Danny going to respond? Oh my gosh, if I do this, what's he going to do? What's he going to think? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I am relegating my emotions, my power, over to what he may or may not do. I am rendering myself powerless to something I have no power to change. If we just take authority, take power over ourselves and over our resources, we will live a happy, peaceful life. I can't control what you do with your money, but I can control what I do with mine. I can't control what goes through your head, but I can control what goes through mine. I can't control your attitude, but I can control mine. Either we're going to spend our lives powerless blaming the world, blaming people, living angry, or we're going to labor to enter into peace, into that rest. Because I am holding tightly to the kingdom and I am not going to be controlled by the morality and the mindsets of the world. I remember when that uh, right after the election and they had the big women's rights movement thing going on. And I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with these people wearing these hats? Vagina outfits. I mean, crazy stuff. And I'm going, what's wrong with them? Immediately. See, when you write a book on prejudice, God will not allow you to stay prejudiced. Some of our right to opinion is actually demonic in nature. And as soon as I felt this rise up inside of me, the Lord said, you were one. I go, oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> I remember marching. I remember being one of those loud voices. I remember being angry, and I didn't want equality with men. I wanted to be better than them. I wanted to be above them. Whatever I could do to squish the men on the planet, I would be happy. I was messed up, man. I was angry. But see, there was years of my life where I was abused. I had four older brothers, and they weren't protective. <laughs> I might have been watching a TV show. Get away. The boys are coming in. You're going out. Who cares what you want? Man, I learned to fight. And I grew up angry. And men were the problem. So I took all those things out 
to be above them. The one it was destroying wasn't men. It was me. The power to walk in rest. Oh, I'd love to tell you some stories because I don't care what we've experienced, what we believed even yesterday. Those mindsets can be shifted, one by revelation. That's why God says in Isaiah or or. Paul said, you know, he says, I pray this for you. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of your calling and the riches of his glorious inheritance. Because, man, I got this amazing inheritance for you. Now you contend for your inheritance. And are we going to spend our lives investing into others, loving others, helping others to discover that beautiful treasure inside of them? Yes. But I have no power to make them embrace it. I remember once, this was years ago, hallelujah for our amazing church. But I remember years ago, someone came up and they said, oh, Melody, you're just so controlling. And I said, if I were controlling... You'd be at church, you'd be paying your tithes, you'd be doing this, you'd be doing that, you wouldn't be doing this, you wouldn't be doing that, you wouldn't be gossiping right now, you wouldn't be doing all these other things, and they just didn't know what to say. Because if I was really all that controlling, man, I'd do some controlling. (laughs) But I don't have the power to control, come on. It only took a week of marriage to find out I had no control. (laughs) My husband is a person you cannot control. Didn't take long at all. And he married this raw girl coming out of woman's liberation, I'll tell you. He was a brave man. (laughs) See, powerful people change what they can. And the biggest thing we can change is how we think, what we believe, how we function, and coming into those places of rest. My goodness, I could go through a list of things I would love to change, but I can't change it. So I'm just going to love life. Can you imagine if we all just love life in the midst of stuff? Because I can't change that. So I'm not going to allow it to take away my joy my destiny, my voice, my purpose, my passion. I used to think I had to work hard to try to convince somebody to serve God. Oh man, I would do all kinds of things to try to convince them to serve God. And it left me frustrated because I found myself working harder on other people's destiny than they were on their own. I was making a greater sacrifice for the purpose that they carried than they were willing to make. Now it's like, man, you don't want to sacrifice. Have your life. I'm going to go and I'm going to build. Do you remember in the beginning of the year, the Lord spoke to me. He woke me up and he says, don't negotiate with terrorists. And he began to show me terrorist is fear. And we know how Nehemiah was building that wall. And Sam Ballard and his buddies come in. And they say, you've got to come down with me to the plain of Ono. And there are so many people that are living in the plain of Ono. But Nehemiah wouldn't do it. He says, man, I'm not going to stop building. 
He did it four times. The fifth time, it was an open letter. Man, he put it on Facebook. He put it on the nightly news. It was on the front page of the newspaper saying, you need to come down and talk to me because there's this rumor going on about you that you're trying to exalt yourself to be king and you wait till I go tell the king about what your motive is. And he goes, man, I'm not gonna waste my time. I'm coming down to you. He wouldn't do it. And then he started with death threats. <laughs> your life is gonna fall apart. This is gonna happen to you and this is gonna happen to you if you don't listen to me. And he said, should such a man as I flee I won't do it. And in 52 days, they completed the wall without any present day equipment, 52 days. Why? Because he didn't try to control what he didn't have the power to control. He just did what God gave him to do. Last week to Giving Light, Apostle Jane said, set time. Set the time. Set the time, guys. Right now, set the time. And it was 1157 when she decreed it. 11.57, so research that. 11.57, <laughs> she decreed that. And I go, okay, right now, 11.57, on what date was last Sunday, the 8th? First. 11.57 on 10.117. Loretta, we'll let her prophetically see if there's anything to that. But at that moment, set the time. So I looked in my watch and I said, okay, right now we set the time. And one thing that she spoke over us is that all our years of ministry were for such a time as this. You know, if we look at all the things we can't control and we are contending for the faith and we're laboring to enter into rest and we hold fast to what God's placed inside of us, guess what? We will accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. And the process is so much fun. We were going on vacation this year. Thank you, Aaron, for all your labors so that we can have family vacations. And uh, Layla comes up to me, and she is, like, all excited. And she says, Mem, you won't have to work for a whole week. <laughs> and I said, but Layla, I love to work. And she goes, you do? And I go, yes, I do. Oh, she didn't know what to do with that. Because we live a life feeling powerless that what we do, we have to do. Rather than choosing to contend for the faith. Holding on to our prophetic promise. Viewing life through the lens of heaven, not what's taking place on this earth. Jesus is coming back for a victorious church. Not one that's saying, oh man, the world's so bad, Jesus has got to come and rescue us. No, he's saying, I want you to be victorious in the midst of this earth. And as you're victorious in the midst of this earth, not only will it impact you, but it'll impact those around you, and it's going to position the return, accelerate the return of Jesus. He says, when the fullness of restoration takes place, the fullness of restoration of all things, that's going to usher in the return of Jesus. How is that going to happen? It's by contending for the faith. It's not being controlled by the things around us. Oh, easy preached, hard practiced. But let me give you a neuroscience tip. Do you realize emotion 
hits your reward center of your brain in one thirty-second of a second. So in a millisecond, emotion hits you. Fear, joy, whatever kind of emotion, good or bad, emotion hits you in a millisecond. And by choice, it takes three seconds to submit that emotion to wisdom. Now, you might not think three seconds is much, but in the midst of emotion, we want to get all caught up in how we feel. And I've learned just because I feel happy about something doesn't mean it's God. We've been taught, oh, if you feel this excitement inside of you, it's got to be God. I'm learning that's not true. When it's God, you feel excitement inside of you. But just because you have excitement doesn't mean it's God. It's just an emotion. And I take that emotion and I say, God, what do you say? In fact, last year, I'm so excited about the Widmers coming in two weeks. Because last year, my spiritual father, Bishop Hammond, wanted me to come down and do a week training at CI. What an honor. Come on, guys. This is big stuff. He's known as the father of prophetic at every camp. He launched the prophetic into the body of Christ. I mean, you're talking literally Hundreds and hundreds of thousands being equipped in the prophetic as Bishop has taught us how to equip people to prophesy. It's powerful. That's my spiritual father. And I learned not, oh, wow, what an honor. Ooh, that's exciting. And I said, I've learned to say, Holy Spirit. And it's like, not that week is what I heard. I go, oh, my gosh. How can I tell them that I can't come? Oh, no, oh, no, okay. I went to the Valley of Ono for a moment. And uh, so I just said, okay. I said, can I get back to you? And they said, sure. So I said, Holy Spirit, if it's not that, you know, how do I handle this? Because I knew I wasn't supposed to go. Not because of feeling, not because of emotion, but because I heard his voice. And how do you tell a prophetic ministry that I heard the voice of the Lord and I'm not coming to you. (laughs) I mean, how do you do that, you know? Because you love and you honor and you serve and you give and and we've invested 25 years into partnering with them. Within two days, thank you, Jesus, for rapid response. In two days, I get contacted by Peter and Dorothy Widmer in Zurich, Switzerland, to come and spend a day training the NGOs that deal with human trafficking. Oh, instantly I knew that's why it wasn't the week. So I said, yes, and I knew, well, I went down, I said, Stephen, what do you think? I only do three, you know, international trips a year. Should I take a fourth one? He goes, just go for it. You know you want to do it. I go, yeah, I do. Go for it. And so I settled it. I confirmed it. And then I called my spiritual father. Well, really, it was... uh, person that was organizing it. And I said, I can't do that week. Is there another week? I said, I could do the first week in November. And they go, oh, that even works better for us. I said, great, let's book it. So if I, I said all that to say, we are so controlled by that millisecond of emotion that rises up that we think that is reality. 
He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know. We will know when we ask, when we contend for the faith, when we submit our thoughts to his thoughts, our ways to his ways. See, if ever we have to promote ourselves, we'll do what feels good to us. And I'm not preaching my sermon, just can the sermon. Listen. Whenever we are driven by our own need, we will make wrong decisions. Do you know our very personality was developed in the first seven years of life, 75% of it in the first three years of life? Because a child learns what they need to do to get their needs met. Because face it, babies are born selfish, right? It's all about their needs. Change my diaper, feed me, put it in, clean it up, put it in, clean it up. That's what the first few months are about, right? It's all about their needs. And you think, I'm not just baby. I got a two-year-old. I got a five-year-old. I got a 10-year-old. I got a 15-year-old. What do you mean? It's still about their needs, you know? That's a sign of immaturity. And do you know what? Our brain our physical brain, according to neuroscience, does not become adult till 25 to 30 years old. And so we're expecting a 15-year-old to act with a mature brain. So give your two-year-olds a break. All they know is their need. But see, they make a lot of wrong decisions because it runs through the grid of what meets their need. They're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about how their decision's going to affect them the next day. They're focusing on their need. So do you realize, okay, if they became an assertive, task-oriented, driven person, that's what they learned to do as a child to meet their need. If they became quiet and reserved and more passive, they learned that's what I needed to do to meet my need. Why did I end up as this type A woman? Because that's what I needed to meet my need so I could survive. Somebody else might become quiet because hiding in the background meets my need. Do you see that? And do you realize that develops our personality, which is needs-driven. So even as adults, how many here are 25 and up? The majority. So the majority here right now should have a fully developed brain. That doesn't mean we don't renew our mind. It just means that the ability to make all those connections are right there, all right? So we must recognize that the moment I focus on what I want, I am stepping into a fear-based mindset. And the things that I do, the things that I say, the way I respond aligns with fear, not the kingdom. See, Jesus didn't plant us on this earth just so I could focus on me. 
He put us on this earth to give and contribute to our world. He put me here for you. He put me here for every person I come into contact with. See, the greatest desire of my heart is to see every person discover what manner of man or woman they are. Because when you know who you are in God and you contend for the faith and you war a good warfare, guess what? You discover the treasure that's on the inside of you. Fear flies out the window. And now I'm not just walking around, meet my need, meet my need, meet my need, make me feel better. Come on, clap for me, tell me I'm doing good. You know, I mean, whatever. You know, I'm doing all these things to try to get response from somebody else because that's what meets my need. So I am living powerless. Because my identity, my value, my worth, all those things are dependent on how you respond to me. When I was first married, oh my goodness, you know the story about Stephen's tight lips. Whenever I'd see those tight lips, I knew he wasn't pleased with me because he'd never raise his voice at me, but I'd see those tight lips. You know what? I viewed myself based upon whether he had relaxed lips or tight lips. If he had a little smile on his face, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. I must be doing good, I must be okay. If his lips were tight, oh, what did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? What do I gotta do to fix this? All I had to do is see tight lips and he could control me. He never said a word, but those lips controlled me. It wasn't his problem, it was my problem because I was living powerless. But oh, when God healed me, and I looked at him in the face and I said, sweetheart, I love you, but those lips aren't going to control me anymore. It has been 20 some years and I haven't seen those tight lips. See, powerful isn't forceful. It's peaceful. I don't have to fight to get my needs met because I'm in him. I don't have to fight with anybody. I don't have to try to convince anybody. I don't have to put pressure on anybody. I don't have to manipulate or try to control. I don't have to do any of those things because I'm powerful. Huh? Laura might not like what I've chosen to do, but that isn't my responsibility. My responsibility is to obey God. And as long as I know I'm obedient to him, the scripture Katie read, he is my vindicator. And he will defend me in every situation. Because when I walk in who I truly am in him without fear, powerless, powerful, in the midst of the voices that are taking place in this world, then I can really walk out and release my voice. I'm so excited as I write this book on prejudice. Who am I to do it? I'm the one God asked to do it. And I'm excited about it because I have no agenda other than the healing of our land and the healing of hearts. To see relationships restored. You know, you've been married long enough. If you try to control the other person, you're unhappy. Isn't that right? But when you relinquish them to make decisions and allow them to be powerful, you together are a powerhouse. 
Because now you have two powerful people walking in agreement. Who? that's amazing. I'm not being controlled. I'm not being coerced. I'm just partnering. So we labor to enter into rest. And what I wanted to talk about today were the weapons of spiritual warfare, and I never got to it. So maybe if Stephen doesn't feel good again, I might preach the last half. But the fact is, this is how we come into personal revival. See, we're expecting God to come in, sweep across the room. And suddenly we have revival. Revival is to make alive again. It's to restore our power. It's to restore our passion. It's to restore our vitality. Why? So we can feel good and have Holy Ghost goosebumps? No, so that we can go out and change our world. So we can impact culture. So we can see somebody and we can see their value and we can see their worth. We can look past all the external things and really see their value and begin to speak into that. That's what revival's for because now I'm not lit. I mean, my needs are met. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Come on. Encounters with God, those places of revelation, so shift my mindset, so shift my belief system that I begin to walk in the power and the authority that he destined for me. And out of that place, now when I'm out in the store, I'm not thinking about what I need. I'm thinking about what that person needs. Oh, I'll tell you, I sit in, I love airports, really. I I love to travel. And one of my greatest things to do in the airport is to sit there and look at every person. I claim them for the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Lord, Holy Ghost, I ask you, just touch that person. And they're just walking by, and I just target one of them, and I just pray for them. You know, God's looking for an open door. He's looking for someone to pray. He's looking for someone to look beyond themselves to think about somebody else. You know, maybe someday, you know, I'll get to heaven and there'll be people lined up. Oh, yeah, the first prayer came when you were in the airport. <laughs> I go, yay, God. We don't realize what we're doing and the impact that we can have. But in the process, I'm not walking that way. We say, you need to evangelize. No, I want to evangelize. You need to serve. You need to do this. You need to do that. No, I am doing it. Because I know God put this on my heart. I'm not doing things to get my needs met. I'm just releasing what God's put inside of me. How liberating is it? Holy Ghost, I got to stop. Father, in the name of Jesus, even though I didn't finish, I just pray, Lord God, that you are just raising up. You know what happened? It shifted when I talked about powerful. Something happened in this place because we don't realize how powerless we live how controlled we are by external things. But just to know you're powerful is all you need to know. And it's a place of humility. It's a place of peace. It's a place of selflessness. It's a place of joy. It's a place of fulfillment. It's a place of significance. Because... I'm not living needy. And when I know who I am in him, then all he is can be made manifested in me 
and through me. So Holy Spirit, oh, this time just went so fast. And Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ for each one, especially in this last season where they felt powerless in some situations right now in Jesus' name, in their own soul, in their own mind, they say, I take back my spiritual authority. I take back the understanding of how powerful I am. I receive the peace of that. I make my decisions out of peace, not out of fear. I make my decisions how to release what God's placed inside of me, not what I need to get. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you that right now you are overshadowing this place with your presence, with your love. And right now we choose to contend for the faith, to believe what you say over any voice that's external. We choose to fight the good fight of faith. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you and praise you for your hand in Jesus' name. May I minister to you, sweetheart? And what's your name? Sue. Sue. Father, I just speak a blessing over Sue. For the Lord says, daughter, true, you lived in a way where you felt like you were under the control of others, that the decision you made and the things that you did were just to try to please others and satisfy others, but it, it seemed like all those things seemed to backfire in you. But the Lord says, I'm raising you up and I'm bringing a revelation to your heart of not just how loved you are, but what I've already done in the midst of you. And I'm calling you forth in this season. And it's just like I see you as like a package that God's unwrapping in this season. And he's going to begin to show you the things that dwell on the inside of you that you never knew were there. Things that uh, the Spirit of God has placed inside of you, callings and purposes and passions. And even when you were a little girl, when you dream and you'd imagine and you pretend and you'd play, those things would like bubble up on the inside of you. But you thought that was just a childish dream. Who am I? And I just hear the Lord saying, I never told you not to dream. And the dream you have is never too big for me. So the Lord says, recognize I'm doing a work and we are going to partner together in such a way that you will not just discover the gift I placed inside of you, but how I'm going to release you and give you a sense of awareness of the beauty that you hold and the message that you carry. Father God, I bless her, and I ask, oh God, that she would just touch and heal those areas, those areas where there was rejection, those areas where there was betrayal, those areas where she felt pushed back and pushed down and, and uh, that her ideas and her opinions were not important. We just break that off right now and we just declare a new beginning for this woman. Lord, that Sue would have a new beginning today, that hope would begin to rise inside of her, that dreams would begin to rise inside of her again. In the name of Jesus, I just declare that in Jesus' name. And could everyone just stand a second? Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just give our children and our grandchildren to you. We give those that we love to you right now in the name of Jesus. We recognize we cannot control them. We recognize we cannot uh, convince them. All we can do is pray. 
So Holy Spirit, come and invade their world with supernatural revelation. Lord, I thank you whether it takes an encounter, whether it takes you speaking to their hearts. Lord, I just thank you that you are invading their minds and you're invading their thoughts. You're invading their lives, showing them who they truly are. And right now, I come against every strategy of hell that has tried to warp their identity, tried to distort their purpose, try to cause them to see themselves as less than they are. And they've just lived a, a life where they tried to control the external to get their needs met. Right now, we declare it is done in Jesus' name. We set the time today for our children. We set the time today for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. We set the time and we decree that right now we are contending for the faith, that right now we are laboring to enter into to rest. And Lord God, I thank you that our mindsets are changing about warfare because it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. In fact, I just heard, well, when they start getting the results of their actions, then maybe they'll change. That will never do it. It's going to be the goodness of God. It's going to be revelation. God so loved us. He so valued us that while we were yet sinners, when I was that man-hating woman's liver, my God loved me. Come on. It's his goodness that leads them to repentance. So we say, Holy Spirit, pour out your goodness upon them. Holy Spirit, invade their world. Holy Spirit, speak to them in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you that it's between you and them. We release them. We stop trying to control in the name of Jesus, but we stand in self-control in the name of Jesus storting ourselves and storting what you've given us. And I just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Could I have the healing team come up, please? Thank you, Father.